Welcome to our North Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you. For further information about our church, please visit churchnorth.com or check out our social media at Church North. Wow, ah, thank you so much. Well, it is good to see you all uh, this morning. My, as I said, my name is Derek Smith and uh, I'm from a beautiful picturesque fishing village in the north of England called Bolton. And for everybody that's not laughing, it's because you've never been. And uh, so it's great to be here and uh, spend some time with Dave and Abs and see what God's doing here at North Church. Um, A few weeks ago, uh, a young man met me before the service, quite intense young man. And he said, Pastor Derek, he said, "Um, we are living in troubled times. I said, yeah, I get it. He said, you, you're always joking in the pulpit and we just, I, I just feel I want to help you. You've got to stop joking in the pulpit because, you know, people are sensitive these days and they just don't get your humour. And I said, thank you very much. So I got up to speak. I'm from Bolton. Everything's a challenge. I said, there's an Englishman, an Irishman, a Scotsman and a Welshman. Soldiers in the Second World War and they get captured by the Germans and they get put against a firing squad, but they get a last request. So the Germans say to the Welshman, what's your last request? He says, I want a thousand male Welsh voice choir singing Land of My Fathers. Said to the Scot, what would you like? He said, a thousand Scotsmen with bagpipes playing O'Fleur of Scotland. Said to the Irishman, what would you like? He said, I'd like a thousand Irishmen doing a river dance. Said to the Englishman, what would you like? He said, shoot me first. So that's the level we're going to be at today. So just, uh, listen, it is great to be here. And I want to jump straight into the Word of God. But I know sometimes, because I've been in ministry for 36 years, even though I'm only 25, um, that, that sometimes when you preach somewhere for the first time, it can feel like you're speed dating. Like we've got to get intimate very quickly. And so I haven't got time to woo you and, you know, all that kind of stuff and get married. So you're just going to have to trust me that I'm okay. I'm trusting that you're ready to receive the word of God, hungry for the word of God. And we're going to get right in there. Because I want to say a few things this morning that are going to hopefully help us, challenge us, and, and put our, our church experience in a better perspective. So, Father, in these next four or five hours that we have got together, just bless us. Speak to us clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to read to you a passage from Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 1 to 11. Um, It should appear on the screen behind us. And then I want to make some comments about this passage of Scripture and why I don't like it. I'm declaring at the start, I don't like this passage of Scripture at all. Because it's far too challenging and I'll tell you why I don't like it. Acts chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and put it at the apostles feet. Then Peter said Ananias how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. 
When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard and saw what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried it out and buried it. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband at the door are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is why I don't like this passage of scripture. I don't like this passage of scripture because I think it's in the wrong testament. Because if you put this passage of scripture in the Old Testament, we could kind of rationalise it as evangelicals by saying, well, God did that kind of thing in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, God's different. He doesn't kill people like he did in the Old Testament. You know, and very simplistically, you can open your Bible, turn left, God's angry. Turn right, God's happy. And so we've got, to, we, we've got to understand, how did this make the new covenant? How did this pass the cross? How did this get in the New Testament when surely God doesn't do that anymore? Because God killed two people for lying about what they gave in the offering. Hello? Listen, if, if God was literally doing that today, would not be passing just... Offering bags, we'd be passing body bags. So Pastor Dave would get them as the offering bags pass you by and as the body bags pass you by, if you're lying, you're dead. Well, the offerings would go up, but I'm not sure that would be true to Scripture. But this this bit of Scripture worries me because I'm thinking, why did God do that in the New Testament? You see, when we start to read the Acts of the Apostles, we see, it's like this, right? Chapter 1, the promise of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. Brilliant. Pentecostals, we love that. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Wow, power. Acts chapter 3, we see incredible miracles. Acts chapter 4, we see Peter and John go before the Sanhedrin because the messages spread so quickly through that part of the world. Everybody's talking about what's happening with these people called Christians. And then he gets to Acts chapter 5 and I'm thinking, God, if I wrote the Bible, I want to put it there. Because it comes in the middle of revival. In the middle of revival, there's two people that though they are in a revival, the revival is not in them. Oh, you know, the easiest place to backslide is a good church. And I'll tell you why. Because you can mistake the life around you for the life within you. And sometimes we can, we can live off what's happening from the stage and other people's enthusiasm and we can almost think that it's happening in us when it may not be happening in us. So this passage of scripture, I think God was quite wise. In the middle of a revival, the church's first problem. And my message this morning is the church's first problem. The fact that churches have problems 
is not a newsflash, is it? Is anybody surprised that churches have problems? No, me neither. And listen, even good churches in revival have problems. And God, through his word, allows us to see the first problem. So Acts chapter 1, power of the Spirit, Acts chapter 2, coming of the Spirit, Acts chapter 3, miracles, Acts chapter 4, influence, Acts chapter 5, problems. And the problem was this, a man and a woman called Ananias and Sapphira came into church and told a lie about what they had pledged, what they had promised and put less at the apostles' feet than they should have. So let me do three things this morning about this passage of scripture, about is it relevant for us today? When you read the Bible, you ask three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? And what's it got to do with me? So what it says may not be what it means. Jesus said, I am a door. Well, what did he mean? He's got a letterbox. No, when Jesus said, I am a door, he's talking about, I am an entry point. So we have to say, what does it say? What does it mean? And then what has it got to do with us? So what does this passage say? Because it says pretty brutal. What does it mean? And then what has that, Acts chapter 5, got to do with me in Leeds in 2023? Because if God still kills people for telling fibs in church, we're in trouble. Because guess what? We'd all be dead, including the pastor of this church and including the guest speaker this morning. So we've got to say, what does this mean? Well, I think, and this is only, you know, as I've studied the Word of God over the 36 years I've been in ministry, this is what I take Three things from this passage of scripture. That God is putting a marker down at the beginning of church about things that he is going to take incredibly seriously. That God right at the start in the midst of revival when everything is kicking off and the church is going brilliantly. He says this is the mark of what I'm going to do for all the generations of the church of what I am going to take seriously. So these are three things that I think We've got to be mindful of today in order to be faithful to that passage of Scripture. Three problems. Number one is this, the problem of withholding. The problem, now listen, I can't talk about you because you're perfect. Let me tell you about the people, the other side of the Pennines. They withhold. They come to church and jig and dance, but often they withhold. They withhold their praise. They withhold their encouragement. They withhold their resources. They withhold their gifts. They withhold their tithe. They withhold what God has placed in them. And when we withhold what God has given us, God takes it seriously. The word Ananias simply means this. God has given. So what has God given you that you are withholding. And I think certainly as a global church, and I've just flown in last night from Madrid, where I was with 5,000 Pentecostal leaders from around the world. And it's amazing that everybody seems to be saying the same thing. That this, that post-COVID, there's a lot of people, they're not in Leeds this morning, they're all the other side of the Pennines, but we've come back to church 
We've come back to attendance. We've come back to raising our hands. But maybe we're not giving what we were giving. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about attendance, encouragement, enthusiasm, praise, worship. I'm talking about gifts. But this is why God takes it so seriously because things don't get done in the kingdom if the people of the kingdom withhold. You know, I'm not a weird Christian. There's a lot of weird Christians out there, isn't there? But I'm not a weird Christian. So people come to me, or used to all the time, you say, Pastor Derek, I won't be there tonight at the meeting, but I'm with you in spirit. And I'd say, you can keep your spirit. I don't want your spirit. I can't move, I can't move chairs with your spirit. I can't serve coffee with your spirit. I can't look after kids with your spirit. Keep your spirit. I want your body. Now, put that on Twitter about now. Derek Smith says he wants your body. Listen, I have enough problems. Don't put that on Twitter. Well, you see, the thing is, if we withhold, stuff doesn't get done. So there is things, can I suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, there are things in this city not getting done, not because God doesn't want them done, but because the people of God are withholding. There are songs in some of you. There are books in some of you. There are ministries in some of you. There is resource in some of you. There is stuff in you that unless you can bring it and give it, won't get done. And we've got to, again, at this side of COVID, be a church who said, God, we're in. We're in. I'm not going to withhold from you. I'm not going to withhold my praise. I'm not going to withhold my enthusiasm. I'm not going to withhold my encouragement. There's somebody in this building this morning that needs the encouragement that you brought. So don't take it home with you. Dump it on them. Go up to somebody and say, I don't know if you need this, but you're going to get it. Be encouraged. Bring your resource, bring your your faith, bring your encouragement, bring your enthusiasm and bring it because God takes it seriously when we withhold. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 12 says this. This is what Paul said to the Corinthian church. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak As to my children, open wide your hearts also. North Church this morning, are you a withholder or are you a giver? Are you an all-inner or are you a tipper? Are you somebody that consistently reserves the right not to participate because you're withholding? And I think Ananias and Sapphira was a message for the... For the church, for all time of this, God takes it seriously when we withhold. Now, we may not physically die, but people that withhold spiritually die. Because you know what it's like? It's like a spiritual constipation, excuse my language. It's like holding on to stuff that just so bungs us up. Eventually, we go toxic and we go negative. 
And we go picking and making comments and making comments when God is looking for a church that will bring everything that they have. My gifts, my time, my treasure, my talent and put it at his feet and say, Jesus, it's all yours. And I think Leeds has never seen a church where so many people, if they give their time, their talents, their treasure to just what God could do in this city God wants it done but it's in the room and you may be here saying look it took me all my time to come back to church I'm back but don't start asking me for my Wednesday nights don't start asking me for my tithe again no we're not asking you for tithe we're asking you that's 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 your payment for breathing his air We're asking for your treasure and your time, your chance. And the reason pastors can ask for that is this, because you're not giving it to me. Because as bad as this service gets, or the next one, I'm going home this afternoon. But we're asking it because we know it's about setting you free. You see, see, you withholding hurts the church, but it hurts you more. And I think God takes it incredibly, incredibly seriously. When the people of God withhold what he gave them. I'm like Mark Twain, the the American novelist, when I read the Bible. It's not the bits of the Bible that I read that I don't understand that worry me. It's the bits of the Bible that I read that I do understand that worry me. Jesus said to, remember in the parable where he was teaching and he said, to you know, someone was given 10 and produced more. And to the one that was given one who did not produce, he said this, you wicked servant. Why? Because he held on to what God had gave him and he gave it him back. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, because I am going, I don't, want, I don't want to say, God, you know all that stuff you gave me? Well, I've, I've kept it all for you. I want, I want to throw my crowns at the feet of Jesus of everything I've done. Why? Because it's not me. I want to say, yeah, God, we saw this and we saw that and we saw this and we saw that. And God, it's all you. I want to give God back so much more than, than he gave me. I I wonder if there's anybody, I wonder if there's anybody in this room this morning that's withholding. Problem number two, because we're still on the subject of problems, because the church is still got, problem number two is the problem of pretense. Now, what does pretense mean? It means simply, I've studied it in Greek and Hebrew, pretense means Pretending. It means, did you like that? Did you like that? I know a little Greek, kebab. That's it, that's all I know. So, so here were a man and woman who were pretending to be part of the revival, but in their heart were part of the revival. Now, to read chapter five, what would be good when you get home to read chapter four? Because The chapter before, there's a man in the New Testament in Acts 4 called Barnabas. And he gives a piece of money from the field that he sold and he puts at the apostles' feet. And I'm just wondering if, I don't know right, I don't know if this, but I'm wondering this, Ananias and Sapphira were like this this couple in the church and they saw, they didn't know it was the chapter before, it could have been the week before, the month before. Because listen, let me help you this, this will help you understanding of the Bible. People in the Bible didn't know they were in the Bible. 
Nobody got up and said, Barbara, it's Bible day. Get your best dress on. <laughs> no, they didn't know. They were just living their normal, normal lives. And so he, Ananias and Sapphira went to the meeting and they probably saw the fuss that happened. So they said, wow, did you see what that guy did, Barnabas? He sold the field and he gave the money. And then, wow, they're all around him saying, well done, Bo, you're awesome, you're brilliant. Wow, wow, wow. So they wanted to play the game. They, listen, let me say this because you didn't get that. They wanted to play the game. You can play the game of being Christian. Because we know when to lift our hands. And we know when to do certain things. And we know when to look down when they're looking for volunteers. And we know, we know how to do it because we've been in church long enough. That we know how to play the game. But Ananias and Sapphira, I'm imagining them in church looking at each other. Look, look at all the fuss they got. We want that. So they pretended. So they were in church pretending. We've sold this field and we're putting it in the apostles' feet. But they were pretending. Can I, can, can I appeal, and I would do this as passionately in my home church, is this. Don't fake it. I've heard preachers say, fake it till you make it. No, 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 no. No, don't fake it. Don't just go along with it. You see, if this is going to work, it's got to be because of inward transformation, not behavior management. Because we can teach you don't smoke and, 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 and don't beat people up and don't drink and don't do this and don't do that. And, and you can have all your behaviour managed. But you're playing the game. This only works when a man or woman has come to the point in their life of saying, Jesus, I am a sinner. Now, you may be a middle-class sinner from a nice part of Leeds or you may be a grotty sinner from a grotty part of Leeds. I'm from a grotty part of Bolton. I lived in a council house in a grotty part of Bolton, broke as anything, and I'm 57 years of age and I've lived in Bolton 57 years. You're not talking about Derek Smith, Hollywood Ministries. I'm not going home to the pool and the jacuzzi and the staff that Dave and Abs have got. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and if you want to tweet that, tweet it now. Let's get, let's get some scandal going. So, so, um, <laughs> don't fake it. Get the real deal. Because listen, unless you've been transformed inwardly by Jesus, when the day comes where the storm comes, you're in trouble because you are a boat without a rudder. You, 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 you are a yacht. Just get the real deal. Jesus wants to so transform your life from the inside out. One of the things I love about our church is this. I look out just like now and some of you don't look like Christians. I'm not going to pick anybody out. A lot of them are on the front row. No, they don't. But, uh, but I walked in this morning and I'm, I'm checking you out. Covered in tattoos. Earrings in places where you don't put an earring. I can't see one tie. 
Won't I? Do you, do you know how offensive that is to a holy God? There's women in here with makeup on and no hats. People say to me, Pastor, is it a sin that women wear makeup? I say, mate, it's a sin if some women don't wear makeup. Don't, 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 no, don't. Don't tweet that. Don't tweet that. Won't tweet, right? Don't tweet that. If you want a scripture for that, Lamentations chapter 4, verse 2. If the barn door needs painting, paint it. Um, just leave that with me. You see, we want people who have had an inward transformation that are not just playing the game that they saw somebody else play. Listen, if, you're a, if your mum and dad were Christians and your granddad was a Christian and your grandma was a Christian and you've been brought to church and you, you like the sentiment of the church and you've been on the young people's weekend and all that kind of stuff, all that is phenomenal. Keep doing it. But make sure at some point the deal goes from here on the longest journey in the world, 18 inches to here. Because if Jesus doesn't go from here to here, and changes from the inside out. All this is pretense. It's la, 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 kidding ourselves. And God is looking for a church, and that's why he put it in Acts chapter 5, that doesn't pretend. Thirdly, the problem of alignment. In verse 8, now, how can I put this? I'll try and move my best. Verse 8. Ananias has come in and he's put the money and Peter said, is that the money? What have you got? And he said, yeah. And so Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? And he dropped dead. The Bible says three hours later. Now, I don't know why she came three hours later to church. I'm making no comment on that. You can draw your own conclusions. But three hours later, Sapphira comes in. And she comes in and in verse 8, is a really challenging verse because Peter says to Sapphira, is this the money that Ananias got for the land? And she had a choice. A choice for 2,000 years Christians have every day. What do I align with? Truth. Or even family. Why was it she died because she aligned with family more than truth? And I think God put this in Acts chapter 5 because there will come times where God will expect you to so align with his word and his spirit and his house, it may even put you odds with your own family. And you know the thing, oh, you know, blood's thicker than water. But let me say to you, blood is not thicker than spirit. And when you got saved, you got a new family. Now, I'm not decrying, I'm not decrying your family. But listen, if I'd have listened to my family, if I'd have listened to my mum, who's still around, 92, I'd have been married to Donna Crouch. Not the Donna Crouch from Australia, the Donna Crouch from D9 in Bolton. That's not a good look. If I'd have listened to my dad, I'd have been a coal miner. 
Because he was a coal miner and my granddad was a coal miner and my great-granddad was a coal miner and his dad was a coal miner. We've been co- I'm the only one that's live over, lived above ground. <laughs> there are times in your world from Acts chapter 5 where you're going to get asked a question, is this what you got? And you've got to say, align yourself with truth or convenience. Truth or family. Truth or culture. Truth or what everybody else is going along with. And we are living in days that are incredibly challenging to the church and are incredibly challenging for the people in the church, people like me and you, because you know at work on a Monday and a Tuesday when people start asking the questions, you've not got somebody on a keyboard giving you a good feeling. You've not got Pastor Dave going, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. You, you've got those questions and you get a choice like Safira did in verse 8 where people say to you, what do you think? What's your take on it? Where are you in this whole debate? And you get, I've got this choice. Do I align myself with the truth of God's word, the truth of God's spirit, and the truth of God's house? I think, I think alignment is so important. In the Old Testament, you know Gideon, I love, I love the Old Testament. It's just so full of cool stories. People say, oh, it's boring. No. Gideon, try and picture this and we'll land in a few minutes. It might be like me playing though it came in from Madrid. We went round three times first. but uh, He's going into battle with the Amalekites. 45,000 Amalekites on the other side of the hill. And Gideon's there with his 32,000 troops. He's on his knees, having a quiet time. Got his Hillsong CD on. He's got oh, the whole thing happening. And God says to him, Gideon, before you fight, you've got too many people. I want you to get rid of a few. So tomorrow morning, we get up, go down to the troops and tell anybody that's frightened can go home. So Gideon gets up. Now, he probably did what you did, Ed, which that is not God's voice. If I'm in a scrap, I want everybody that's, I want everybody on my side. So he goes to the troops next day, said, men of Gideon, all those that are frightened from fighting the 45,000 Amalekites to the side of that hill, if you're frightened, you can go home. And 22,000 went home. I'd be back, I'd be back in my quiet time like this. God? Hello? Are you for real? We're going into a war with 45,000 Amalekites. I had 32,000 troops and now I've got 10. And God said, Gideon, I'm not finished. Go down, go down to the river and ask the men to drink. If the men drink by getting on all fours and drink straight from the river, send them home. But if they scoop the water with a hand and drink like this, you can keep them. So Gideon, because he was like you and me, worried, must have come out next day and said, Men of Gideon, watch closely. Hand in the air. Scoop water like so. Drink. Watch me. So 10,000 men went down to the river. 9,700 drank like dogs. Gideon sent them home. So now Gideon's in his prayer. Now He's now going, God, God, Buddha, Elvis, anybody? Is there anybody else up there that's got a better answer than this? 
I have now got 300 against 45,000 Amalekites. And God says, I'm not finished. Take all the weapons off them and give them a jam jar and a tea light. What? Take the weapons off them. So 300 men going to battle with a jam jar and a tea light. Read the story. And God does an incredible miracle. The Amalekites are totally destroyed because they end up turning on themselves and destroying their own army because they feared what was coming, though they didn't know it was just 300 dudes with tea lights and jam jars. What's, why does God put that stuff? Because he's letting us know it's not about the crowd. It's about the alignment. See, in, I can say this because I'm not your pastor. But if you're here, you need to align with here. You need to align with God's word. You need to align with God's spirit, which never contradicts his, contradicts his word. And you need to align yourself with the house that you belong to. Now, does it mean you have to stop being you and we're all going to become the same? No. No. Be the genius that you are. Be unique. Be wacky. Be crazy. We need your brilliance. But we need your brilliance aligned. Because brilliance unaligned is just weird. Brilliance and uniqueness aligned is power. And God wants you in church with all your quirkiness and your uniqueness to be aligned to the vision of this house so that you can see some incredible things happen in your world and for God. I love, I love this passage of scripture and I'm glad God put it in the New Testament because right at the start, he lays everything up front. He says, this is what it's going to cost. And this is what it's going to mean. And the power of alignment is not in the numbers in front of us. The power of alignment is in what people are aligned to. And God was teaching Gideon, you're far better going into battle with 300 aligned than 32,000 that just happened to be there. The strength of North Church is not in the amount of people that put their bums on seats on a Sunday, as good as that is, and may it grow and grow and grow and grow. But the power of North Church ultimately will be about hearts that are aligned to a vision greater than just the sum of your individual part. So... I'm finishing. How do I know I'm finishing? Because keyboard player arrived. It's the universal language of you've got five minutes. The keyboard player. And we've got a second service, so we've got to honour all that. We've got to honour all that. But please, we, we, we don't want to rush on from this passage in Acts 5 of the church's first problem was in the middle of revival. Wow. Because we think revival is when there's no problems. No, that's heaven and we ain't got there yet. This side of heaven, you know, problems. I was in Madrid last week talking to a group of leaders 
and they're really praying about church growth. And I had to say to them, you know what a bigger church means? More problems. You know what a bigger church means? More cancer. You know what a bigger church means? More marital problems. You know what a bigger church means? More identity problems. So, so you've got to be praying for something that your heart's aligned to see it through. So I've got great news for you, David Abs. If God answers the prayer of your heart, it's going to come with a million problems. It's good, isn't it? It's encouraging on a Sunday morning, isn't it? You may say, well, I'm not in any problems. Don't worry, you will be soon. And the problem you're in, it'll probably pass. Well, there's another one. So if you're going to live, Pastor, when all my problems are done, I'll serve you. <laughs> when, 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 you know, it's like when people came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bury my father and mother. And Jesus said this, because Jesus was praying, let the dead bury the dead. So we close with a story. Jesus Jesus is wonderful. But let me say this. Jesus says some pretty harsh things. He said to some people, you're a whitewashed tomb and you're full of vipers. Well, that didn't get him much preaching gigs around that area, did it? He was was no conference speaker. He went to the temple one day and he saw that they turned a place of prayer into a car boot sale. He got angry. Jesus got angry. Let me say this to you. Jesus got angry. And getting angry is not a sin. Because the Bible doesn't say do not get angry. It says in your anger do not sin. I think if you don't get angry, you're probably dead. And he rocks up. And he's absolutely angry. Now if you picture Jesus that he's got a nighty on. And flip flops. And he's got a lamb under this hand. And he's got long blonde hair and white skin and blue eyes because he was from Scandinavia. If that's your picture of Jesus, then, then, then you'll not understand as you read it where Jesus comes to the temple and he is mad. Mad. So he, the Bible says in Mark's God, he made a whip. Whoa. Time out. Jesus made a whip. Why? Can I suggest I've studied this for 37 years. Jesus made a whip because he was going to whip people. And then he started to kick and turn tables over. Now, if he'd have done it today in Leeds, it'd be, excuse me, I've done a risk assessment. Could you all clearly move around this table while I throw it over? Nobody will be injured. Don't worry. Please stand back. But he didn't. And he upset people because he says, You have made what should have been a place of prayer into a place that was purely for your gain. If we make the house of God purely for our gain and we don't do what God said it is and believe what God said it is and align our thoughts and our words and our actions with that if we don't withhold what God has given us I can imagine people 
stood at the side watching Jesus do this, going, woo wow. He can't be the Messiah. And they're on the mobile phones. Jesus is not the son of God. He's a fraud. Hashtag toxic temple. Is your Jesus like that? Who never offends and never puts demands on you and never asks? Because mine's not. Mine's not Scandinavian. He's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. And he has every right to ask. So I'm going to pray. Years ago, when I'd been, if, I'd, if I was 30, I'd have got all down to the front and have had snot and tears. But at 57, I'm like, I've seen these, I've, I've seen altars packed, but people come to altars and never alter. So the hardest appeal, this is going to be the hardest appeal North Church has ever had. Go through those doors and be different. Go through those doors and live differently. In Jesus' name. Come, will you stand as we pray and then we'll hand back. Just put your hand out in front of you just for one second. I know I'm just going to pray really quickly. Jesus, will you speak by the power of your Holy Spirit to people? And for those that are withholding, speak to them now about what they're withholding and help them to find release. Father, for those in here that may be full of pretense and pretending, they're just going with the crowd. May they experience the power of God this morning in salvation, that they would know you as an inward transformation, not an external sin manager. And Father, we just pray for people in this place that we will be aligned to the vision of this house. We will be aligned to the word of God. We will be aligned to the spirit of God. And when we do that, God, we thank you that all our best days are ahead of us because you see the power of an aligned church. Bless these wonderful people, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, God bless you.